over the years, I've done quite a few CrossFit competition simulations, which is exactly as it sounds. It's simulating the competition. So you're trying to get as close as you can to mimicking that in a number of different facets and a number of different ways. Um, and that's going to give hopefully your uh, athletes or um, for me, if I've done it, a competitive advantage, right? That's the goal of that is for you to feel prepared, more so prepared than if you wouldn't have done that competition. And there's a bunch of specifics, which I intend to get into today, but that's sort of a general theme that you can start to think about. So today, there's basically three questions that I want to answer. Number one is who is a simulation best for and who potentially is it inappropriate for on the flip side of that? Two, when is the best timing for a simulation? So if you were coming up on a competition, um, what would be the appropriate distance away from that competition to do a simulation? And then three, what should a simulation entail and what things should it not entail? And then finally, I'm actually going to walk you through how I think about and how I program CrossFit competition simulations. Um, so there's a five-step process that I go through. I'm going to take you through that process. And in the following episode, part two, I'm actually going to do that specific thing, right? I'm going to walk you through a fi that five-step process, but actually doing it. So I will construct that series of tests, the, that you know competitive event. And um, I'll share you kind of my thought process behind it and the specifics around it and all, also the results of that because we've actually done it at this point. So that's the goal for today, to teach you how to program a CrossFit competition simulation. The fitness movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. We offer coaching and individualized program design, as well as educational content for coaches and athletes. It's all at one place, zoorfitness.com. So again, part one today, I'm going to be walking through those three questions of basically the details of the specifics around a simulation, like what should entail, and then the five steps I'm going to outline today of how you actually go about programming a simulation if you choose to do one. Uh, so first of all, who is it best for? A simulation and who is it potentially inappropriate for? First of all, I would say this is maybe not reserved for, but it's going to be certainly best for experienced fit athletes who have some capacity under their belt who are going to benefit just as much from, you know, the practical mental framing standpoint of workouts, the confidence building that they could get from executing on a, a battery of tests in a, in a effective manner and sort of like, uh, day game hygiene, let's call it, right? Where they're basically going through the routines and the practices um, that are going to be necessary for them to uh, sustain a good performance over a potential multiple day event that a competition is. Um, and those things are all taking them away from just like normal solid training. And that's something that we need to kind of underscore and remember as we go about this. And therefore, thinking again, that this is something that we're setting aside that's separate, that isn't necessarily going to detract from other training, but it's going to prevent you from just being in your normal routine and going about just your normal day-to-day -day good quality training. Now, who this is inappropriate for is on the flip side of that. It's for athletes who would probably benefit more from just going about their normal traditional training cycle. And this could be for a number of reasons. It could be that they just like maybe lack the refined skills in the in the known testing body of the sport. So for example, if you know that you're going to see muscle ups and you're very close to getting one, you'd be much better served continuing to go through your muscle up progressions and uh, get to the point where you can 
get a muscle up, right? If you can do that, that's going to bump you way up uh, almost every leaderboard that's that's out there. Um, just using that as an example, right? Or if it's like, oh, I know every single year this event test is handstand walking, and I know in my division that I'm going to be in, they are probably going to test it. So it's like, I'm better off continuing to accumulate my practice rather than throwing that into a testing environment. Another scenario that I thought of is that they could have a significant strength deficit on the field. And doing a high volume bout of work in a testing situation or a simulation type environment um, could potentially pull them away from expressing their best strength in an event, right? If we know, again, that a lot of the events, even in conditioning settings, are going to be relatively heavy for them relative to their current strength and fitness levels, it probably makes more sense to, again, err on the side of traditional training cycle, continuing to work through that and allowing that just good work to slowly accumulate. And then finally, if they're like going to be risking injury or they're going to be dealing with lingering fatigue as a result of doing the simulation, and this could be for a number of reasons, as maybe as simple as just like their age, right? If they're a master's athlete doing a really volume intensive simulation, just probably doesn't make sense for them. It could be to their joint status or hormonal status, right? If you are not in the place uh, from a, like a mechanical standpoint, like you have like joint pain that you're dealing with and it probably doesn't make sense for you to do, you know, 120 pistols in a testing environment if you were dealing with like anterior knee pain, it just doesn't make sense. Likewise, if you're dealing with like a shoulder thing, whatever, it doesn't make sense for you to do just like a bunch of like high volume kipping gymnastics. Um, so that's like obviously stuff that is going to be more intuitive for most coaches that they just understand that maybe you're not in the best position to actually attack this yet. And likely if they did go about that, that would probably be more of a confidence draining thing rather than a confidence boosting thing, which is very important. And one of the, the primary reasons why you would do a simulation like this. Um, and then again, hormonal status, that basically just be like, if they're overreaching already and you know that for whatever reason, they're sort of like the, the top limit of what they can handle from a, a stress standpoint then adding more stress on top of that is going to put them over and have them spill over and they're going to be um, just overtraining, right? In a very general sense. And it's like, they're, they're not able to, to handle um, that additional volume and intensity that they're going to be asked to do. And therefore they're going to be dealing with linger fatigue after the event, after the simulation, which will set them up for a not great run into the actual event, which again, that shouldn't detract from normal, good quality training. So I just want to underscore that. So that was who is a simulation best for and who is it potentially inappropriate for. Next is when is the best timing of a, of a simulation. So again, looking at it in terms of how, number, how many weeks out we are from a competition, what would maybe be sort of the ideal trajectory for that athlete? So if I just answer this in a more general sense first, and then we'll go into a more specific detailed answer. Um, as a principle to think about, I would say you want to be close enough to the competition that the athlete feels sharp First of all, that they feel like their fitness is good and that they're um, ready to go hard, essentially, go maximally um, in a series of tests. And they are in shape enough where that's going to be a confidence boosting thing and sort of a reminder that they are on the correct path and the right trajectory towards that, that goal, which is feeling at their best at the competition. And it also should be that they're far enough away from the competition that any fatigue that they accumulate from that simulation is cleared up before they actually go to compete. And I would say my bias is probably doing it slightly earlier where um, you can get probably another week or two of good quality training in before um, like that taper period. So like this would maybe be anywhere from a 
you know, four to six weeks before competition in my mind. Um, it's something that's bigger, you're gearing up for. Maybe you do like initial preparatory phase. At the end of that phase, you might do a simulation or maybe quick deload and then a simulation, another very short taper or a, more of a deload and then back into uh, maybe a second preparatory period that's like a little bit more intense, a little bit less volume. Um, ideally for an athlete who's appropriately built that amount of volume. And then that would be enough timing where they can still get a little bit of good quality training left. Uh, make sure that all that fatigue cleared up um, by the time they actually go to compete through a maybe a two-week taper or like a 10-day, seven-day taper, depending how in shape that athlete is. If they've had a long career in fitness and they have a lot of volume built, you can probably have that taper be a little bit longer and they also will probably only be a confidence-boosting thing for them rather than feeling like they're, they're getting nervous about not doing enough. Anyway, I don't want to get too into the weeds on the taper side of things. That's going to be sort of our, our best time for simulation, probably anywhere from three to six weeks out from competition, depending on who you are, your fitness levels, and the specifics around that. And coming up in January, uh, January 6th and 7th, we have our next athlete camp. That is, we, we placed it there because number one is after the holidays, right? To, to make sure people are sort of had their time with family. Now they're sort of refocused and now the season feels really imminent, right? It's got that sense of, oh, we're, we're like here, we're approaching the season now. And so that's like our first sort of qualification is that people feel the urgency of the season coming on. And then secondly, that uh, there's a lot of other uh, higher level events like Wadpalooza, TFX, uh, Fitness on the Coast that athletes are preparing for in our community. And it allows them to have enough separation between those events and the camp where it can still be uh, a period of clearing up the fatigue that could be accumulated from camp. So camp, again, it's not run like a simulation, but there are elements of that based based on competitiveness of having you know a number of people in, a, in an environment where they are going head to head. By nature, it is more stressful. It is a little bit more um, higher energy output type of a weekend. People who've been to them before understand that. But that's like a good example of like, okay, this kind of like timing wise sort of makes sense to place that sort of a thing here. Again, if you're interested in athlete camp, we're going to be hosting at Lumber Capital Athletics here in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Um, even if you're not one of our individual design athletes, you can attend the camp. Um, we will drop some information about that in the show notes. That was sort of the timing about like when is best. Next is what should the simulation entail or what should it not entail? I sort of alluded to this in the intro, but if possible and if practical, it should really mimic the demands in terms of like the events, the structuring of the events, the the number of events, the timing of those events, basically the entire, a similar of a layout as you can get to your com your actual competition that you're preparing for. Because once again, like the, you're simulating the competition. Uh, you're trying to get as close as you can. So it should be, uh, number one is like the event uh, schedule. So the number of events that you had, the number of days that you're competing, the time of day of those events, the more that you can do that actually mimics those environments. Um, if you're going to be working out outside, working out inside, outside. If you're going to be working outside during the daytime and it's going to be sunny, trying to do that at that same time. If you're going to be working out in an air-conditioned environment, making sure that you spend some time, if it's summertime, in the cooler environments just simply replicating it as closely as you can. And then next would be like, so that was event schedule, then it's the event structure. So like more specifically, like this, this programming of the events, right? Not trying to necessarily guess what's coming out, but preparing the athlete for the types of things that they're likely to see at this competition. So event duration. So like making sure you're giving them a, a longer event. If your event typically sees that sort of thing, um, probably a shorter, higher output event, and then maybe some in the middle 
again, movement selection wise, movement pairing wise, equipment wise, every single competition has a bias. Identifying what that is and then trying to reflect that bias in the simulation is a very important thing. In order to do this well, this is where those five steps come into play. Again, I'm actually gonna in part two break down each of those steps with a real example that I take my, actually it's myself and two other athletes in our community that went through a simulation. Um, I'm gonna break it down and explain what it was, why we did it that way, my thought process behind it. So for now, we're gonna kind of stay uh, out of the specifics, not giving a ton of examples, more so outlining how this would thought process would, would be for me. Um, the five steps. One, research your competition. Two, perform an analysis. Three, do a cross comparison. Four, bias programming to existing events. And five, less is more. So let's walk through this one by one and break it down. One, research your competition. So first thing that you got to do is go back, comb through all the past events from past years. Again, probably biasing more recent ones to sort of the, the forefront of your mind. If you can't find ones from really old, maybe that's not as big of a deal. So recording as many of the past events and venues as you can from these competitions, and then just sort of generally looking for themes without doing like a ton of analysis just yet. So that would just be like research. It's just putting all the events together in one place where you can kind of see it and visualize it uh, well. Two would be performing the analysis. So again, you're looking at durations of workouts, you're looking at the movement frequency, like how many times did toes to bar come up in the last six years in this competition versus how many times have chest to bar? How many times have ring muscle ups shown up versus bar muscle ups? Do they have rope climbs? How tall are the rope climbs? Um, do they have a running course? How typically long are those um, you know, running lengths that they do or the, like the, the rounds? Um, do they typically have a chipper? Like all of those sorts of things, just figuring out like, okay, is there any unique equipment or facilities that they have that they have access to that they enjoy using, right? Most quality in-person competitions have some sort of bias and that's actually like a good thing and like it represents that competition. So for example, like TFX, as we're preparing for this, I said I wouldn't give too many examples, but this I think is a good illustration. TFX, they always have a vested event, right? So they have something where you're carrying, uh, you have on your body a weight carrier, a plate carrier. So um, you certainly need to be prepping for that as you get ready for it. If you're doing Wadapalooza, you need to be swimming, right? These are things that are just sort of like generally known, but if you maybe haven't been around that competition before, or you just won't have like a ton of experience around it, you just need to do your homework and figure that out. So that's sort of performing the analysis. It's not super in-depth. It doesn't need to be super complicated. Just making sure that you're actually checking off some of those boxes. Two, uh, three would be doing that cross comparison. So this to me, this could probably mean a bunch of different things, but to, this to me is like, where does this testing body lie um, relative to a typical CrossFit testing body. So again, if we look at maybe like a, an average in-person quality competition, that's like close to an elite level. It's probably at least two days, right? And maybe there's six events. So maybe not that dissimilar from like a quarterfinal style test um, in the current structuring of the CrossFit game season. So it's like, okay, if I compare their movement selection, their workout duration to a quarterfinals test, what differences do I see? It's like, oh, they, well, they test in-person running. Okay, that's a good difference to note. Oh, like they really don't bias long events at all. Like almost all the events are 12 minute time caps or less where you're probably only working for 10 or less minutes for a, for a solid level competitor. It's like, well, that's super important to know. Like they're trying to smash a lot of people into like a short time window. So they're trying to condense um, all the workouts. And by nature, that means that they're going to be more powerful 
workouts, right? Little details like that matter a lot in these types of competitions. Again, that's what I mean by cross comparison is like, okay, do they always bias like these hanging gymnastics events where it's like, okay, they got like gymnastics density in like three out of the six workouts. Okay, you should probably be preparing for that. Or it's like, oh, they always do their, their lifting first because they want to showcase the athletes in this competition. Whereas typically CrossFit like fatigues them at least a little bit before they let them lift, right? Like little details like that. And then as you're actually thinking about how you'd program the simulation, I would say one, you want to create opportunities that allows for experiences within the simulation that um, are maybe unique for the athlete, right? Maybe they haven't done a lot of vested workouts. Maybe they've never done vested handstand walks, but they're really proficient on their hands. It's like, okay, maybe it's a good opportunity for you to get thrown something a little bit new that you're still going to be able to test and have success in. However, it's just a little bit of a curveball to just kind of have a dose of uh, adversity, which you're likely to see at a competition like this. But then it also, and probably more importantly, it allows a coach to start to look at what what exposures of low-hanging fruit can I give to this athlete and the additional lead-up to that competition. So not just the simulation, just talking normal competition prep training, right? What things should you be getting exposures of? Again, in the TFX example, it's like you should probably be in a vest at least once to twice a week. That probably just makes sense because you know you're going to see a vested workout. Again, for an athlete who's doing fist on the coast, it's like, well, you should probably be doing some soft sand running. Um, if you're an athlete who you're doing waterpalooza, it's like you need to be in the pool at least once a week. Um, and hopefully you can at least get a little bit of mixed settings in there as well. And it's like thinking about what things can I implement as a coach that's going to give my athlete a good bang for their buck in terms of training expenditure and giving them a leg up on their competition. Step number four is bias programming to existing events. First thing is like, just don't reinvent the wheel. Right, you don't need to come up with all these novel ideas and situations, right? Probably err towards the side of just like using past events. Like pull a workout that you've already done and especially if it's like novel in some way or presents like a unique challenge for the athlete or it has like a high potential for like a repeat, I think all those make like a great simulation type workout, right? Like pull that up and use it if possible. A good example of this was myself as well as a number of athletes in the Zor community were prepping and doing the, the fittest experience online qualifier to actually qualify for the in-person event. And in the qualifier prep, it wasn't like a, a whole cycle because it just didn't really require that much gear up for a lot of the athletes. However, you know, there's at least probably one or two touches of that sort of prep per week in their training leading up to the online qualifier itself. One of the things as I did analysis on the, the qualifier for that event each time was that there was every single year and one year there twice, there was actually a, a row couplet. So it was row and something else, right? Always a couplet and always with rowing and it always was rowing for calories. And leading up to that event, shocker, we did uh, row couplets probably, you know, once every week or once every two weeks, somewhere in that range. Um, making sure that we were attacking that particular priority because it's quality energy systems training and it was going to have great preparation for the event. And sure enough, once again, uh, rowing came up paired with power clean. So it was another row couplet that showed up in the 2024 qualifier. So thinking about what events are you likely to see repeated, what themes are they, they commonly biasing, and then just use the events that they've already created if it makes sense. Again, if it needs to be modified, then you can modify it, but start with the stuff that they've already had and they've already created because that's their bias. You're not trying to put your bias onto it. You're trying to put their bias onto it. And the fifth and final step is less is more. I'd say err on the side of giving 
in a simulation, less volume and less, let's call them like brutal beatdown type workouts, right? The, the goal is to provide a learning opportunity and to instill confidence in the athletes, not to beat them down or have them be dealing with um, a recovery deficit or like an injury because of the result of um, a simulation that you're doing, right? The, the goal is the goal, which is to allow them to build confidence, get experience, practice their rhythms that they go through in a competitive environment and allow them to get their best effort and potential on a set number of events. That is the goal. And that is how I think about programming CrossFit competition simulations. Thanks for listening today. If you're someone who just started listening to the show, I would encourage you to subscribe so you can stay up to date. If you're someone who's been listening for a while, I would encourage you to rate and review the show. And lastly, the best thing that you can do to support our work is also the best thing that you can do for your performance. And that is by hiring one of our coaches. Until next time, stay the course.